I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why does making friends as an adult feel so what hard? What should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a foreign But that Why hookup was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We We want want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Every Girl Podcast. Our guest today is Sabina Lada. She is the founder and CEO of Doe, spelled D-E-U-X, a brand that you have probably seen all over Instagram, flying off of shelves at Whole Foods and Erewhon, or as a must-have food item of your favorite celebrities and influencers. Sabina has been profiled by the New York Times, pitched dough to the sharks on Shark Tank, and was featured on this year's Create and Cultivate 100 list, or the list of the top 100 female founders and disruptors. Sabina has such a cool story. She talks about her entrepreneur journey, how she grew up eating Kraft mac and cheese and candy bars, and then later worked for some of these major food corporations like Pepsi, but then wanted to do something more and help people with their health. She shares a lot of tips for entrepreneurs and just in general, having a more fulfilling career. So even if you're not an entrepreneur, it really applied. Sabina and I also chat about her experience on Shark Tank, where she pitched dough. You guys, if you have not seen her on Shark Tank, even if you're not a Shark Tank fan, honestly, YouTube Sabina Lada on Shark Tank and watch the clip is really fascinating. I think it's an iconic episode. All the sharks really built her up, told her she was the most impressive entrepreneur. Like multiple of them said that and how amazing her numbers were and everything. But then every shark didn't want to invest. And then one of them wanted to do a deal and she negotiated once as you're supposed to do, as literally all of them do. And that shark backed out. So it was a really kind of weird um, and just kind of confusing. So we talk about that experience, the misogyny she received. She's been really outspoken about it afterwards, which I think is so admirable and impressive. Um, she got a lot of backlash on her pink suit, which like you guys will be pissed off when you hear what people have been saying. But she is so cool. She's handled the whole thing with such grace. And it's just a really fascinating story. And then the last topic we discuss is Sabina really indulged my Vanderpump Rules obsession. If you are a fan of Vanderpump Rules, as I am, I if you don't know by now, you should know that I would die for the vast majority of the cast of Vanderpump Rules. Sabina was on one of the episodes this past season. She came to Katie's house to talk to Katie and Ariana about opening up their sandwich shop. Um, it kind of shows up that she's a business consultant, which is technically not true. She is just the founder of this amazing female-focused food company like Katie and Ariana are trying to start. And she's also a friend of Katie's. So she was also there for the iconic scene of what was supposed to be the finale when they're at Sir to celebrate the sandwiches and Raquel comes up to Katie and starts saying these things to Katie and Katie's mom. And it is iconic because you can see Sabine in the background just sipping her espresso martini. 
And I'm like, Sabina is all of us. So of course she indulges my obsession and we chat about Vanderpump, what it feels like to be there, how the scene actually played out, how she got associated with Vanderpump Rules and got on the show. So this episode goes a little bit longer because I just could not let her leave. I had so many questions about Vanderpump Rules. Eventually I had to be like, all right, Josie, let Sabina go on and live her life because she's been talking to you for way too long now. Um, But she got a front row seat to like such an iconic scene. So I needed to know all the details about it. So I love this conversation. We cover so much from her fascinating background to her entrepreneurial journey, career tips, Shark Tank, Vanderpump Rules, It is a jam-packed episode. And so with that, welcome Sabina Lada to the Every Girl Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh my gosh, of course. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like I've been following you guys forever. I love to hear that we love an Every Girl stand. We love it. (laughs) Um, The first thing I have to tell you is you have a Frenchie, right? I do a Frenchie, yes. Okay. I'm also a Frenchie mom and mine is, it looks so similar to yours because yours is black and tan. Yeah. Like they look so similar. The eyebrows, the little tan paws, they look so much alike from what I can see on Instagram. So I just love to meet another Frenchie mom. Crazy. I love it. Well, it's funny because Frenchie people are like obsessive. Like, you know, like there's like like corgi people are like that. Like if you (laughs) like Frenchies, if you go to like your explore page or you go to your TikTok, like all you're getting is Frenchies. And like, sometimes it makes me feel weird. Like, like why (laughs) am I so like, we'll see what my husband and I will see one on the street. And we're like, look, a Frenchie. And it's like such a weird obsession. But yeah, I feel like Frenchie people are like Frenchie people. It's so true. We're Frenchie people. And that's why I had to say the first thing I'm like, before we talk about dough, I got to talk to you about your Frenchie. Like it's so true. (laughs) We're aligned. The Frenchie thing. And it's so true that it's like your whole Instagram feed is Frenchie. It's like you get really obsessed. So like, I'm glad that you also get that. I love it. (laughs) So I would love to start from the very beginning with you because you have such a amazing, very cool story. What did you want to be when you were a little kid? What was your childhood like? Oh my gosh, not anything practical. Well, I guess practical <laughs> in the sense of like my my like family's practicality. So the earliest memory I have of wanting to be some, like wanting to be something when I grow up is um, in fashion. I used to draw all the time. I had this little notebook and I would draw clothes so I guess backing up, my family is Indian and Pakistani. So we, um, you know, my parents are immigrants and, you know, have kind of like a dual culture in my household growing up. And when you get Indian clothes or Pakistani clothes, you can either buy them off the rack or it's very cheap to just when you're there, like when my mom is visiting, you know, her mom or whatever it is, you go to the markets and get them made. And so it's actually more economical to do that and to just have like a design and then they'll, they'll kind of like fit you and measure you. And then they'll, you'll get your clothes and you'll get, you know, like 10 clothes for the next couple of years. And so I remember my sisters didn't really care. My sisters were like, Oh, I want something blue or like, you know, they didn't really care what my mom was bringing back. And I was so obsessive. I was like, mom, it needs to have this like one sleeve, you know, this like one <laughs> you had a vision. Yes. Yeah. It needs to like embroidery, like right up at the chest, but then it needs to like fade down. I would like draw it out for her 
when she would go. And I would be like, you need to get this made, this exact thing made. And so that was like my first. And so I started with Indian clothes and then I started drawing like American clothes or Western clothes. But yeah, it was, it was definitely a little bit more creative. I would say that my kind of superpower is that I have both that like a very strong creative brain, but I was like my best subject in school was math. It's kind of like an interesting, you're, you're pulled a couple of different ways and then you're kind of like, well, what do I do? But it was definitely nothing in food, but um, my roots relate to food quite a bit in another way because of my dad, but originally was, was much more creative. And it kind of makes sense. Like I see it in how your branding is and the logo, like it, it really makes sense. But tell me about your dad, what you kind of touched on. What was your dad's yeah. relationship to food and how did you get interested in food? Yeah. So, um, so my parents were immigrants. My mom went to nursing school. My dad, when he moved here, he didn't have much of an education. So he kind of worked odd jobs. So like, you know, he was a taxi driver and he works in a deli and he, you know, was just kind of like making ends meet. And his kind of culmination of his American dream was owning a convenience store and gas station in Texas. So we moved from Chicago to Texas and, and lived in this small town called Ulysses. So he, you know, his culmination was, oh my gosh, I'm able to buy this, you know, convenience store right outside of Fort Worth. And, you know, we had no childcare and, you know, my dad worked 24 seven. So my sisters and I would spend like every waking moment in that gas station. Like we would, you know, on the weekends or, you know, in the evenings, if he had to pick us up. Um, and I so remember, like, this is such a, I have such a bad memory, but this is such a distinct memory for me like being behind the cash register in the gas station and like counting change for customers and then being able to choose, like at the end of the day, being able to choose two snacks. And I would always choose like a sweet snack and a salty snack. And I always aired, obviously like love sweet. Like I just have a crazy sweet tooth. Most women do. Women are two and a half times <laughs> yeah. to have a sweet tooth than their male counterparts. So true. And at the time, I guess like really backing up at the time in the 90s, it wasn't necessarily villainized to eat the standard American diet. Like Kraft mac and cheese was okay. And, you know, you used to eat Oreos whenever you wanted and Pop-Tarts. And like, that was just kind of what you ate. Whereas now I think there's a lot more education and a lot more, you know, people literally taking the label and turning it around um, and trying to make better decisions. And there's specific ingredients even that have been banned since then. Then it was super nostalgic and, and it was those brands that you would see on television, right? Like you would see Lay's on TV or Coke on TV and you'd get to, like, I would get so excited of, of, of you know, choosing my snack. So it's like a deep rooted, I had this kind of like obsession with the brands from seeing them in advertising. And of course, they were doing their targeting right. Um, and then being able to kind of have them, you know, over the weekend when I was with my dad. There was, it was totally different world then. Like it, it we had no concept of this is not a healthy food. There's all these added toxins, chemicals. Like now, obviously we talk about that a lot more. There's a lot more education around that. But that back then when we were kids, it was like Kraft mac and cheese. That's yeah. a great dinner. Like, sure. Exactly. Sounds yeah. amazing. Hamburger helper, like that's what you eat. You know? Yeah, sounds like a good, well-rounded meal. So that's yeah. it's so true that it, it's like such a different culture, and it's fascinating to see your roots now as kind of like you're a health entrepreneur started in that. Yeah, in junk I don't food. want to call it unhealthy even, junk food. That's the right word for it. Like, for lack of better words, like that's also where I started my career. Like, my first job out of college was at PepsiCo. And, you know, there are some better for you brands. Like there were, I was always intrigued by those. 
like Smart Food, Stacy's Pita Chips. A lot of people don't know that they're owned by Frito Lay and then thus owned by. Yeah, I did not know that. Wow. Um, or you know, even Quaker can get like just the oats can are, are pretty healthy, but you know, the majority or the lion's share of the business and what kind of what are the sexy brands, if you will, are. Doritos Super Bowl commercial, right? Like that's like the sexy stuff. Like that's the stuff you want to work on. And I was, I was on the Lay's brand, which is, you know, the biggest brand at Frito-Lay. And it was so fun to work on an iconic brand like that. But then you also have a little bit of dissonance, you know, at least I did in that I'm trying to make better decisions. I'm trying to eat healthier. I'm trying to get my friends and family to make, you know, slightly better decisions. And yet at the same time, I'm, you know, slinging potato chips. And so you have a little bit of like, ah, like, you know, should I, should I be doing what I'm doing? But it's interesting because those are the brands that created brand, right? Like those are the brand, everyone can name a campaign, right? Like everyone can name an M&M campaign. And so those are just, those brands created brand, but they also, you know, I think need to evolve or there are brands like ours, you know, Doe that are kind of forcing them to evolve a little bit. So at what point for you working there, did you start to feel like maybe this isn't a moral fit? Yeah, it was slowly for sure. So I had a blog before blogs were cool in um, <laughs> the OG right after college <laughs> um, where I, again, like I was educating my friends and family on health and wellness and I would, I would try all the new things. Like I was a guinea pig. So I would go do a juice cleanse or like when cryotherapy first came out, I remember doing cryotherapy and everyone was like, you're crazy. It's like so cold. But like I would do that <laughs> and I just like see, you know, and I would, I would offer up like healthier versions of recipes or, you know, easy workouts that didn't, you know, that weren't crazy strenuous just so people could make marginally better decisions. And it's also interesting because now it's like Gen Z going into the workforce is going into such a different office culture than what we had. So like our office culture, which I'm sure a lot of listeners can probably relate was like, you go to work, you like gossip at the coffee shop, right? You do like team events together. Like you might have an evening event or morning event where you go work out together. People usually are asking like, oh, what are you having for lunch? Are you going down to the cafeteria? Or are you like, are we all ordering together? So it's such a different, it's like, it was almost like school. Like it's such a different environment than I think now working is because everyone's remote or a lot of rather companies are remote. My team was very fit. Like my team was one of the fittest at the company. And I would say actually like most people at headquarters were pretty, pretty healthy, like at headquarters. And so my team was really into doing like workout classes together. So we would do, this is when SoulCycle was also really big. And so, and maybe it's still big. I don't know. Actually, I just don't do it anymore. But we would do soul, team SoulCycle classes together. And then we would do, you know, team juice cleanses together. And then we would do team like step counts, like before you could measure your step count on your phone, you had to like get a little, <laughs> yeah. little, little trackers. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh my God, I sound so old now. Um, I'm not, <laughs> but it's, we would do like step competitions. And like, I remember being like, this is so at odds with what I'm selling. Right. And like, you get lost a little bit in the sauce because the work is itself is really good. Like I really enjoyed the work, but yeah, you, you get to a point where you're, you're kind of like, or not you rather, I, you know, got to a point where I was like, this feels like a completely different life that I'm living versus what I am selling. So I ended up, I ended up leaving Pepsi and I went to another CPG company called Diamond Foods where, you know, my boss at the time who actually pulled me from, from Pepsi was like, look, I know you love better for you. And 
I, you can work on better for you. Like you can transform this portfolio into making it better for you. And, you know, that involves removing trans fats that involves, you know, working on moving our portfolio from microwave popcorn to like popped bag popcorn, because that was healthier, um, you know, lowering the sodium, things like that. And so I would say it was a step in that direction when I did switch jobs and, and went to Diamond Foods, but it still wasn't, it didn't like satisfy my itch. Like I remember at the time thinking like, if I'm going to make an impact in this space, and if I'm going to actually change behavior, it's going to be done with my own company. I like, I knew it. And I was, I don't know, maybe this was like 10 years ago. And so that was, you know, I, I knew that in the back of my head, but it was kind of every step that I had was, and I, at the time I didn't realize it. Now it makes so much sense, but was informing what I'm doing now. And I, I needed every single thing that I went through to do what I do now. Otherwise, I don't think I would do this as like a dough as effectively as I, I could. Why did you think that? Like, why do you think that came to mind? Was it because you got to see your dad being an entrepreneur and, and so that you got the bug or what was it? Yeah, it's interesting because you, I like struggle with this all the time. My husband and I talk about this of what is nature versus nurture. So, you know, and just, you know, recapping nature is what you were just kind of born with and you just have. And then nurture is who you were kind of bred to be based on your environment and your experiences. And I always ask, the question. And it's interesting to see like my nieces and nephews growing up. Cause I can see too, like I can try to like decipher what's nature versus nurture. I think entrepreneurship for me specifically was nature. Like I truly think it was in my, and, and the reason I say that is because I have two sisters. We two older sisters. We grew up very similarly. And yet I was the one literally from like grade school that had this crazy initiative. And it wasn't necessarily like, it's funny, you know, there are the stories of people being like, I used to like sell candy on the school bus. And like, that's how I, you know, like, that's <laughs> right, how I, right. like I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur when I was five years old and I would like swindle these kids. And <laughs> yeah. that was not me. Like I was not selling kids candy on the school bus. I was a Girl Scout and I would sell Girl Scout cookies and I would crush that. I bet you did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I truly was such a self-starter and like my parents were so confused by it too. Like, I remember them being like, it's okay if you don't get the A or like, it's okay if you don't, you know, score the most points in this basketball game or like whatever the task was. And I kind of like subscribe to that now of, um, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. But whatever the task was, I just had so much initiative. I was such a self-starter. Nobody had to tell me to do anything. Nobody had to tell me to do homework. Nobody had to tell me to do X, Y, Z. I would just do it. And so that's where I think the the entrepreneurship, I think it's, it's not as the qualities of entrepreneurship. There are, you know, a dozen qualities that make it up. But I think we in society kind of like glorify the one or two that's like, oh, yep, that's how I knew you were going to be an entrepreneur. But I think initiative and being a self-starter, like that was in my blood, right? Now, seeing my dad be an entrepreneur growing up and, you know, that a struggling entrepreneur he was, he it's not like he was, I get to do this. He had to do that. He didn't have a choice. But I think that probably played into, you know, the kind of subconscious a little bit of being able to do your own thing and, and be able to have it, you know, realize your American dream. But I will also say like, I'm not a, I'm not a rule follower. That's one thing that has been consistent throughout. I, I just hate authority (laughs) and like, I don't know what it is, but like 
I will do whatever, like I will be a good human and like good value add to society. But once someone tells me that I have to do it, I'm like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you're like, absolutely not. Like, yeah. I'm truly like, it's like, it's really hard for me. And so not with another attribute, like it was all these little things, like back to your question about, you know, how did you know that you were going to do it on your own? Or how did you know you can do it? It's, it's like, it was all these like little things that even when I was at, at Frito-Lay, my VP at the time, who ended up being the CMO and now he's uh, a C- CEO of a Pepsi unit, which he's like stellar. But he, at the time, I was like his favorite analyst and I would, you know, like do things without asking legal and like do things without permission. And he would kind of like whisper me to like, yeah, keep, keep going. Like you can, so like I got a little bit of permission to do that even from my superiors. And so that, I think that escalated and kind of snowballed me one, having the delusion that I could even do this because you have to be a little <laughs> bit delusional to be an entrepreneur. But then two, you know, having all of those kind of traits, some were nature, some were nurture, but it, it allowed, like, I think I had just this clicking moment of like, yeah, I'm going to, I just don't know when it is. And I think what you just pinpointed is actually something I haven't heard before. And that is, it sounds like you were very intrinsically motivated. You know, you did not need your parents to be on you like, get better grades. You didn't need your VP to be on you. Like you have this drive to do more and more and more. And that obviously comes from a very intrinsic place. And I think that's so true for entrepreneurs of needing that motivation that you don't need someone on you. And and obviously a lot of that is like, like we've had other entrepreneurs on that are so passionate about what they're doing. And like that obviously is a big piece of it, but it sounds like for you, it doesn't even matter what you're passionate about. Like you are going to get shit done no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. crazy. It's like, I have, I am obsessed with dough and our products and I'm such a consumer of them. And it is something that was actually lacking in my life of like a, an indulgence because I want indulgence, but I want it to be healthy. So like, I am crazy passionate about it, but I have an investor, Marshall, and he's a VC at called Animal Capital. And Mar- Marshall, the first thing he said to me was like, you could literally sell like a bag of shit. Like you could sell... <laughs> Because and like he was like I would trust you with it. If you told me tomorrow you wanted to go sell like coal, like I would be like sick. I'm I'll invest in you. And so that's to your point. Like yes, I do think some of that like that passion absolutely needs to be there. And like I think most entrepreneurs would probably say it's the actual either the product or the problem that they're solving that drives them. But yeah, I mean I I feel like you can kind of see it in other parts of your life too if you have that. Like my friend Mari is a fitness influencer. She has a company called Bloom and she had a podcast recently outlining her her fitness journey, right? So she lost 90 pounds um and she, you know, did it over the span of I think like a year, year and a half and requires an insane amount of mental stamina. And she draws this comparison between, you know, being an entrepreneur and starting a company and, you know, being successful in the gym and like the work you need to, and the discipline you need to have, you know, around nutrition and around consistency and around doing it when you don't want to do it is like the biggest thing. And I've always had that relationship with the gym specifically as well. And so I, I like personally related to that because it is, you know, whether it's a gym or like, I just started taking tennis lessons and now I'm like obsessive about tennis. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like not good at it, but I make my husband go play with me in the middle of the week so I can be better at my lesson on Saturday. (laughs) It's like, like, you know, like if you want to, you want to, if you want to do it, you'll do it is like the moral of the story, I think. 
I love calling it, if you want it, you'll do it. Because I think a lot of people hear the word discipline or hear like, you just have to show up. And it seems like this very like scary force thing. But I think people like you who have this very good sense of, I'm going to do something that's going to help me out long-term that maybe not is the most like comfortable, easy thing, like going to the gym, launching a freaking business, you know, like all of these things. I I hate the word discipline. And I, I think that it's so much more of an awareness on the big picture. Like, you know, what is going to, you know, the big picture, you can see the big picture of the business. So all the things that feel uncomfortable, you just have this very good connection to what's the end goal of it. Same thing with going to the gym. You know, you have the end goal of, I'm going to feel really, really good. Even if I'm feeling lazy right now and don't want to go, it's going to help me feel really good. So I think that you have, if we can like boil it down to give people like a tangible takeaway, which I love to do. I think that's something about you that I admire so much is you always have a connection to the big picture and that is what drives your intrinsic motivation. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And, and I think it's like knowing to what your earlier point was, is knowing that it's supposed to be hard. Like I think I had, we were having a really rough time. This was like maybe a year ago, we were having a really rough time at the company. Things were crazy. People were working longer, longer hours. I could tell the team was stressed out. And like, that's not how I like to operate though. And I had this conversation with them at our all hands meeting. And I was like, look, this is supposed to be hard. Like if it weren't, then everybody would do it. And so I think knowing that like you will feel, you know, and this is like me therapizing myself a little bit too, but like (laughs) knowing that you will feel frustrated, you will feel like you don't want to do it. You will feel resentment that you have to do it. You'll feel all these emotions, but that's all to your point, part of this bigger picture. And at the end of the day, like, you know, for me, the good outweighs the bad, but you will feel all those bad emotions and it will be hard as long as you can see that kind of what there's this quote I wrote down. It's an idiom. I'm terrible with idioms and I blame it on my parents being immigrants and they never taught me any idioms. But there's this one idiom of like, you can't see the forest from the trees was the mm. idiot that I don't, I don't that know. Sounds you know that sounds good. Yeah. Well, I, like, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Like it's totally true. Like you have to like to be able to see the forest is really hard. So you have to navigate that, I think, in anything that you do, whether it's entrepreneurship or not. Like even entrepreneurship is glorified, I can tell you that. But even not entrepreneurship, even, you know, my husband works at a company called Airwan and he's like in the corporate ladder and, you know, he has to deal with that too. So I think it, it's applicable beyond. It really is. It's applicable with anything and with any goal, I think. And I love what you said too. I think that's a really important lesson to remember is that it's okay for things to feel hard. It actually challenging ourselves is a good thing, you know, as long as it's obviously like not costing us our happiness because that's what matters. But, but that I think we're so averse to negative feelings, whether it's we're averse to feeling like physically discomfort with our fitness, we're averse to feeling super stressed out at work. And obviously like boundaries need to be had. And I think supporting how you feel is the most important thing, but sometimes it's okay to just feel the negative things, knowing that that's a part of life too. And so I I like that reminder that things are supposed to be hard sometimes, and that's okay to challenge yourself and to expect more from yourself. So what was it like to actually develop dough? Because like, how does one go about, let me make a cookie dough with vitamins in it. Like, how do you even start that? What is that like? Yeah. I mean, so I feel like every entrepreneur has has a dozen ideas before they actually kind of execute on one. And they might even, I mean, I have a couple of friends who like executed on a couple. I executed on one before Doe and it was actually a social house, which is completely different um, and, and more like physical space. 
But for me, I think the mindset was, it doesn't have to be perfect. I just need to see if there's product market fit first. So like I had this concept during COVID. This is when... So during COVID, you can imagine supplements were through the roof. It was so hard to get any... Like going to the grocery store, even on Amazon, everything was sold out. Vitamin C, vitamin D, and like anything that would... Bo- elderberry, zinc, anything that would boost your immune system. And by the way, I was taking a ton of them. And I would take like you know my daily probiotics. And I would take turmeric for inflammation. And I would take whatever, all these, these vitamins. And I was taking like 10 pills a day. Like these pills are not small, right? They're like big. <laughs> yeah, pills. it adds up. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get all of these negative effects from it. So you, they get stuck in your throat. You get heartburn. You get like a stomach. Your stomach hurts if, you're, if you haven't eaten properly or you know even if you have eaten properly. And so the original concept of dough was a real food vitamin that would absorb like a vitamin and it would be, you know, make it taste delicious. So something sweet, like a cookie or something like that. So, and you don't feel like almost like actually source if you've heard of source, but, um, you know, you don't actually feel like you're taking vitamins and it doesn't like affect you like you're taking 10 horse pills. So it was, it was essentially a new form factor of a supplement. Now, after doing a ton of you know, research in the space. I had played in the supplement space before when I was at M13 and venture capital. I was like, look, I don't think I want to launch a supplement. Like I, that's just not my journey. So what can I do with this concept of people wanting more out of their food, right? And people wanting more, people caring more about what they're putting in their body, um, especially around COVID. This was post, I guess I should clarify post sourdough and wine COVID (laughs) phases, you know, where people were like making a lot of banana bread. And then this was post that. So people were starting to get home gyms. They're starting to like order dumbbells on Amazon to try to work out. Melissa Wood Health was getting big, like setting the scene here. Like we were, we were like, okay, shit, we're going to be in here for a minute. We got to like eat a little bit better and kind of do better. You know, originally started as a real food vitamin, kind of transformed into, well, what if we can just make this healthy indulgence that, you know, is, is, and we sneak in, you know, vitamins and supplements. And it's now looking back, I think what, what we hit on is this insight of, you know, we started with think like the GIF peanut butters of the world, right? Like that was old school when I was a kid, what we used to eat. And then there was this wave of food, you know, think like Justin's peanut butter. So if we're going the peanut butter route, think like Justin's peanut butter, where we cleaned everything up. So we're like, let's take out, you know, maybe not animal byproducts, but let's take out the preservatives. Let's take out, you know, all the bad for you ingredients. There were brands like Annie's who, you know, General Mills bought um, that was competing with like Kraft Mac and Cheese. There were ice cream brands like Ben and Jerry's that was competing with like the old school, I guess, I don't know what, what we have here, but we have like Briars in Texas. Right. And now in the last like five years or so, you're seeing this third wave, right? So bad for you, Jif, cleaned it up, Justin's. And then now you're seeing this third wave of consumers being like, wait, I want more out of things that I put in my body. Like I'm not just eating these empty calories just to eat them. I want them to fill me up. I want, I don't want to be bloated. I don't want to have a sugar crash. I want them to do something like collagen for my hair, skin, and nails, or I want them to have additional protein so that I keep, I stay full and it'll supplement my workout. And so consumers, it's almost like we're going the beauty route where beauty started like that too, right? We cleaned it up. And then now all of a sudden we have these very specific like vitamin C serums, like consumers are caring about their ingredients. Um, so we have this new wave of, you know, functional foods, if you will. And so that's, I think the broader 
I didn't see it at the time, but that was the broader vision. I think that drove the initial push and, you know, actually developing it was a doozy. It was like, we went through, um, I had a friend who's a plant-based baker who was helping me formulate. And I had all of these requirements, which are really difficult. I think it's, it's hard because people will eat healthy food and they'll eat like vegan or dairy, whatever the gluten-free. And they'll be like, Ugh, I wish this tasted like, you know, a Toll House cookie, or I wish this tasted, but it, it's very difficult to actually do that. So there's this, not, like, there's this balance you have to kind of strike with consumers that they, you know, the reason Kind Bar was so successful is because it tastes delicious, right? Like it, it has a little bit of chocolate in it. It's got nuts. It's got a little bit of glaze. It has a little bit of sugar. It's not terribly high sugar, but it's enough to where consumers are making a better swap. They're making a better decision. They're not eating the Snickers, you know, or some of the other bad bars in the market. So how do you kind of strike this balance of, and we, we early on went a little too heavy health. So we went like, oh my God, this is amazing for you. Like these are all the health benefits. And we've completely switched that messaging. And now we're like, this is delicious. And by the way, it happens to be made with almond butter and oat oat flour and flaxseed and functional ingredients. So, you know, that's all to say that all comes with the testing and learning. And that's why when I launched, I was like, I don't need it to be perfect because it will probably change a year, two years, three years from now. Let's just get an MVP, like a, a minimum viable product, get it out, see if consumers even want it. And then once they tell us they want it, then we'll scale up operations. Like, what's the point of me going to find a co-packer, a manufacturer and, you know, setting up like, spending in a, you know, $20,000 more. I think people were spending like $100,000 on branding, like spending wow. all of that, right? And and then not even having product market fit. I essentially took the route of, let me just put something out there, see if people like it. Very like RX bar model, if you know their story. And then, you know, once we know that people like it, then optimize it later. That's so smart. And that's such good advice for entrepreneurs is to do it in that system. Because I think obviously a lot of people think we need the perfect launch right now. We need the perfect lineup. And instead it's just like figure out what that one hero product's going to be and then know that things are going to change. The comparison with the beauty industry is so true because I'm thinking of like the sunscreen I have. Like now it's not just good enough to be sunscreen. Now we need like vitamin C in it to brighten skin and like, you know, we're expecting more. And so that's so true with our food too, is that we don't want just things that are clean. We want things that are clean and then going to be doing a lot for us at the same time. And especially when it comes to something that's like a, a, you know, cookie dough, some kind of dessert. It's like, why not? Like if dough is able to put our vitamins in cookie dough, why would we have a different cookie dough over this one? Well, we've been fortified, like Americans have been fortifying food for uh, quite some time. So by fortifying, I mean like adding something beneficial to it. So like cereal is the perfect example. And it's kind of interesting because cereal does it in a way that's like, there will be sugary cereals that are fortified with vitamin D that I can't really get behind as much because it's like, oh, now you're just masking the like sugary cereal by pumping it with vitamin D being like, it's good for you because it's a good source of vitamin D. Like that makes me And is that like a marketing thing? Like they did that for marketing was just so that they could say, oh, look, or like Cheerios with the, look, it can lower your cholesterol. Like that's just for marketing, you'd say? Yeah, I think it is. I never worked. So we, cereal wasn't in, in our portfolio or maybe I guess rather in the, it was in the Quaker portfolio when I was at Pepsi. So I can't speak to it fully, but I would imagine, do you know gummy snacks? They have like, if you look at the back, it's like 200% vitamin C. Like, yes, so yes. And part of it is for flavor, like absorbic acid. We use it too. Sometimes it's, it's for flavor, like preservation because it's natural, but it's also 
you know, it's like good source of vitamin C. And like, that's something that to an average American is like, huh, okay. Like I don't feel as bad having this product. And it's a little bit of, of, I hate using the term like guilt-free because it's so triggery with, um, with diet culture and specifically with women. And so I think, I do think, yeah, part of it, part of it is is marketing, but there is probably some, I'm going to look it up. There's probably some interesting history on why that was done the way it was done. Yeah. Like, it's interesting to hear you say that the start of dough was let's make your vitamins into something more delicious. And now it's transitioned into let's make a tasty, healthier cookie dough and add vitamins to it. Like, it's kind of like having the priority of what you're initially marketing with. And it sounds like a lot of those brands maybe marketed the opposite direction where they're like, let's start the marketing of, you know, we're, look, we're good for your cholesterol. We have vitamin D. And then it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like the, like just what you're showing, like the face that you're showing the public, who you are as a brand, it almost kind of like you're doing reverse what they did in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And we still like, for us are, I don't know if anyone like nerds out over like a messaging hierarchy, like the pyramid. (laughs) Oh, Um, I do. Let's nerd out. (laughs) We do. But there's like essentially the top, like the the bottom of the pyramid is, you know, the tangible benefits that you're getting from the product essentially. And then there's like different layers. And then the top of the pyramid is like, the payoff, basically. It's like, what, what's like the bigger thing? And for us, the bigger thing, the top of the pyramid is being on cloud nine. That's what we, we call it internally. And the reason we specifically say cloud nine is because there's this element of just feeling good and comfortable and feeling like just positive about what you're putting in your body. And a lot of that was taken away from us especially in, you know, like Kate Moss era, like, like in media and, you know, hundred calorie packs, because we were supposed to make ourselves skinny when, when, you know, when, when that was a thing and maybe still is a thing, but a lot of that was taken, taken away from us in this kind of like diet culture world. So for us, what we want for her and her being our consumer is just to feel good, to have that scoop of cookie dough and not even think twice, not get a sugar crash later, not feel bloated you know, feel like she's doing something good for herself because she just put in some vitamins in her body. But like, yeah, she's indulging a little bit and that also feels good, right? Like you get a little bit of, you know, release, like they say that chocolate releases endorphins or something like that, right? Like you get a little bit of release from that. And and so that's kind of like our our biggest thing is how does it ladder up to her just feeling good about it? And, and not, honestly, the better thing is like not feeling the, I don't know, the impermissibility of it, the, like making it a permissible indulgence. I always say that like joy is a nutrient too. So what Doe's doing with you're getting like physical nutrients and then you're getting the joy as a nutrient because it's an indulgence that you can feel like you're treating yourself and it's delicious and it's nostalgic. You know, having cookie dough for a lot of people, like it makes you think of your childhood. So what books, resources, mentors, pieces of advice, anything that influenced your journey as an entrepreneur, it can be specific to entrepreneurship or just in general, like feeling like you're you know, the badass that you are, like the confidence that you have to be where you are are at in your career? Yeah. I mean, as of late, I would say the biggest support system. So I'm a solopreneur, right? Like I am the only one and and most people have, most people, most, most people that I know have a co-founder or, you know, have like a COO or someone that's, that's like right next to, to them. So I don't have that. And so the biggest thing for me, aside from my husband, who I talk, 
his ear off about it. Um, and he helps on the business. But the biggest thing for me is having a, a supportive system of women. And that, I, like, I think is it, I've been lucky that it's pretty easy to find in LA of people. You can find people that are doing similar things as you that are willing to meet that are, you know, willing. I, I just went to this founder dinner on Monday that, um, you know, set active, active with brand. Yeah. Uh, Lindsay, through the founder dinner and, you know, she graciously hosted us, but it was about a dozen women and we just covered hot topics. Like we covered three hot topics of things that we're all struggling with. We gave advice, we gave tips, we took notes, like physical notes, right? Like, you know, we we asked questions, we pushed each other and that type of one, I think it helps in a lot of ways. So one, I think it helps with my mental health because it makes me feel like I am not alone and there are other other people, specifically women going through this exact same thing, right? And like, sure, everyone's experiences are a little bit different, but there is someone that can relate to me, right? I am not alone because it is a very lonely journey. Two, the actual tangible resources of, you know, like I think we we threw out like half a dozen different apps or pieces of technology that have helped us, or someone had a suggestion for a presentation maker, like an AI presentation maker that will help my God. And I was like, that will save me so much time. And like in my buyer meetings. And so, you know, there's, there's those tangible resources that you get from something like that. And then I'd say the third thing is I've always been a person who makes friends with people I work with. So like that, some of my closest friends have been you know, and still, still are from Pepsi or from, you know, when I was at McKinsey or even in venture capital, I I become close friends with my coworkers. So, you know, we're fully remote. We're a small team. It's nice to be able to kind of on a, on an emotional level, right. Have, have people who are, you know, you can get drinks with and commiserate with, or, you know, give tips to or celebrate with or whatever it is. So I would say like building that community because it's not, it's not just going to be handed to you like it is at other companies, right? Like at Pepsi, it was built in. This is my community. This is my analyst class. This is my team. It's forced and structured. Here, you're kind of like free falling. So in order to get that support, you almost have to like actively build it. And, you know, once you do, and and now like we're on year three, right? Year one, I would say it was pretty free falling. But in in year three, I'm like, okay, I have a little, you know, like I, I feel, feel supported. Yeah, I think that's so important and such an important message for anyone in any field doing anything. That concept of like networking, I think is like really, (laughs) literally like everyone hates it. It's like, it talks about a lot, but when you break it down and it just is about finding the people that can like support you and that you feel held by and supported by and connected by, I totally agree that that is the most important thing, whether that is finding people in your field, getting to be friends with your coworkers. Like it's such a crucial thing. And I, I love, that's why I love LA. And I tell everyone I'm not leaving LA ever because it's so easy to like meet people and, and like find people in your industry that you want to connect with and that are cool. And, but I think it's like that no matter where you live, getting comfortable with kind of putting yourself out there, which I think is the hardest piece. So what do you think has helped you anything at all that has helped you been able to put yourself out there to start building those connections that now three years later, you feel that support? Yeah. I mean, most of them have started digitally, which is kind of interesting. Like, and that's why, you know, obviously I I, I do love the physical, well, until I'm literally like getting in my car to go, even like until I'm at the event or whatever it is, 
I will be like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then when I'm there, I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, so like it oh, is my God, I'm yes. pretty crazy about that because I actually don't want, I actively do not want to. I would rather <laughs> watch reality TV on my couch and like have a glass of wine and, or like an edible and like, you know, answer some emails, online shop on my phone while I'm watching TV. Like that sounds like blissful to me. The dream. So I have to, oh, I do yeah. That's, that's the biggest thing is I have to force myself. But um, I will say the digital connections to physical, that's been the biggest thing for me. So like one of my closest friends in the industry, um, Sif, she has a company called Array, which they make float and calm capsules. And she and I literally just started following each other on Instagram. Like I, le- I, I got an Array ad. I really loved it. And I think I followed her and then she followed me back and like messaged me and was like, oh my God, I love your product. I was like, oh my God, I love your product. And so that was, you know, that was purely Instagram. And then we decided to, you know, get coffee. And then after that, once you had, I mean, I've done that with a couple of people and been like, oh, we're probably not going to be friends. Like it doesn't, you don't totally, hit Right. You don't feel but it. Like, yeah. And like, that's okay. Like you can be like, ah, that person's kind of dead or like, I don't really care for that person. But with Sif, immediately I was like, oh, she and I are going to be friends. Like we will get along. And you know, that kind of snowballed. And now she's one of my closest friends in the industry. So a lot of, whether that's Instagram, whether that's LinkedIn, like you truly don't know what just a literal, like a message, a direct message or like a connect will do. And so I, I encourage that quite a bit of just like, you know, finding people. And then I will say at the beginning, I know this might be an unpopular opinion for boundaries, and now I have very a lot more strict boundaries. I didn't used to have boundaries. But my first year, I said yes to pretty much everything. Like I would say yes to a coffee chat. I would say yes to drinks. I would say yes to, you know, a phone call, a Zoom. I was a yes girl. And like that helped me in ways. Like there are people that I said yes to that I like didn't want to go or, you know, whatever. Like I was like, I don't have time for this. And that, you know, they introduced me to someone who ended up investing in the business and now is like a big investor of mine. So like, wow. I think that, that early on is important of saying yes. And I, I stand by that, even though it, it, you're stretching yourself, you're also very excited at the beginning. So you're okay. You have the energy, just like the pure fuel. But I do caution it because last year was year two of our, our business. And I burnt out a couple times, like if I'm being totally honest. And so that's when I truly started to implement those those boundaries because I had both like physical, emotional, mental burnout. And I was like, holy shit. So I started saying no a lot more. <laughs> um, but saying yes initially and taking all those calls and those meetings, that was really important to my journey at least. I love the idea of saying yes, but then also knowing when to say no. I think it's about striking the balance. And, and everyone listening probably knows, are you more inclined to say yes or are you more inclined to say no? I'm like you where I'm like, I love to be on my couch, watch TV, no one talk to me, snuggle with our French bulldogs. But then, <laughs> so I'm like, I know I have to kind of get myself to start saying yes to things. There's probably no. a lot of people out there that their inclination is to say yes and that they are feeling burnt out. So knowing when to say no, but I think yeah. that's a really big lesson is like, you never know where connections are going to come from and where opportunities yeah. are going to come from. So getting yourself out there and connecting is such a critical piece of growing in a career or growing your brand as a entrepreneur. And I love Sif. We just had her on the podcast. I met her like a oh, couple of years good. ago at an array event. So I, I think she's like a master connector. Like she's really good at the networking. She's one of those people that says yes. Like the incl- her inclination is to say yes. Yes, <laughs> that's so true. That she's a good example of a yes girl for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, I would love to talk about Shark Tank. 
tell me where you were leading up to getting onto the show and how you got onto Shark Tank. How does that process happen? Yeah, I'm, I think we had an odd experience. I think most people have an experience where they decide, I want to go on Shark Tank, and then they will pursue it. Our experience was very weird because we, three months into launching, got an email from an executive producer saying to our hello email, like our customer service email, saying like, hi, I'm a Shark Tank producer. Would love to talk about you having you on the show. And I was like, what? Like those are the kind of emails where like your heart drops to your like... To your butt. Yeah. And so that's how our process started. Now, granted, it doesn't matter if you're applying or if an EP reaches out to you, your process is still exactly the same. So it's still, it's a very grueling process. Like you have, I, I tell people, I think I put in a total of a hundred hours of work into it. Wow. Um, just like, you know, practicing, meeting with producers, you know, designing the set, like doing Q&A, the business checklists you have to do, like you have to be very buttoned up on all of that. It's like hundreds of pages, right? And so that's all of that combined, all of that work is, is still the exact same. But my experience was, like, and I think it was a little bit of mindset too. It, it's kind of like, if you take it so seriously and you're so hellbent on it, I can see it kind of like backfiring. I was really whimsical with it. Like I was really like cute and fun, Shark Tank, like whatever. I wasn't so, so serious about getting on. Now, once I found out I had a film date, I was like, let's fucking go. Like I was pretty serious about it. And I was like, I'm watching. I didn't used to watch that much. So I'm like, I'm watching everything. I'm practicing my Q&A with my husband. Like we are doing the damn thing. But up until then, I was kind of like, okay, if I get pushed along, then I get pushed along. If I don't, no hard feelings. Like it's fine. The business is doing well without, I didn't need it as a crutch. It wasn't like the business would die if I wasn't on Shark Tank. And so that, that was my process. And then, you know, obviously the airing of it, you don't know what to expect. Looking back, like I kind of knew what my narrative was just based on, you know, my, my application based on, you know, working with my producers, like all of that. I, I kind of knew what they were trying to portray me as, which wasn't, you know, necessarily all, all incorrect. That came out pretty evident in kind of how the, the episode went. Mm. Um, you know, it was like this build up, build up, build up of this amazing, phenomenal entrepreneur with an amazing business and great numbers. And then there was like this epic downfall at the end of spoilers, if anyone is, is <laughs> watching, probably not, but you can find clips online. Um, there's like this epic downfall at the end of it, which, you know, it makes for really good TV. Like at the end of the day, like you and I are both reality TV lovers. Like we know that that makes for a good, like a damn good episode of sure. television. So, you know, I think once I accepted that, I was a little less heartbroken, but I was like, because of how stressful the environment is and, you know, how, how it went and how kind of like nervous I was, I was like pretty anxious and depressed for like the full week after I was like, holy shit, what it like, what did I just do? How is it going to be portrayed on TV? Am I going to look stupid? Like all of those things run, run through your head. And it was, I mean, there was a little bit of drama surrounding the episode itself. And that actually helped us from a PR perspective. So, you know, for, for those listening who don't know, there was a lot of commentary on what I was wearing, which was a hot pink suit. It was so cute. It's like a short, so short cute. Blazer. It was so chic. By the way, now it's a thing. Like, I feel like in the last two years, everyone wears a hot pink suit or yeah. like a bright colored suit. Yeah. You started it. 
Yeah, exactly. There were a lot of men in like Ohio that had something to say about <laughs> like grumpy men in their basement that had something to say about my outfit. And that ended up kind of like creating a flurry and I did a viral TikTok and all of that. But that, that I think, you know, even though there was, that was negative. And at the time I was like, oh my God, people hate me. Or like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm polarizing, which I didn't realize I would be. It still ended up being great for the business. And so that's at the end of the day that that's all that matters is like, it ended up being great for the business. It allowed us to tell a story and, you know, it, it, it helps that we were, we were able to like show our kind of like feminism in the brand, which we wouldn't have been able to do without that. That's so true that it's cool to see that kind of arc to it. Um, but you did have such a fascinating trajectory. So when you say that like you could notice how the producers were setting you up to look, what does that mean? Like, what do you think that they were trying to set you up to show? Or like, did they have that plan going into it before the actual recording? Yeah, I mean, I don't... So they they don't outwardly say anything. That's the thing with like all kind of... And I've had a peek into, into reality TV broadly just from like other things. And so they're not... Like no one outwardly says like, this is your story arc or this is your persona or whatever it is. But if you're like, if you have a high enough EQ and kind of like a high enough self-awareness, you can kind of like pick up on it. And, you know, there were times where like, you know, we got really deep about like my dad, right? And like my dad has passed away and it was you know, like an emotion, I would like get choked up and it was emotional. And so they knew like pretty deep things. And so once you kind of figure out like what they're probing on or like, you know, they were very pot, like they, they were just like hyping me up. Like you're amazing. They gave you and, like, so many compliments. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I was getting before that too. Like, like the producers as well, which, you know, it, it makes you feel good, but it's also like, you then kind of question if you've ever seen, there's a show called, um, Ugh, it's based off The Bachelor, but it's a, it's like a scripted television show. I think it's called Unreal, maybe. But it's if anyone likes reality TV, they would like this this show. And it, it essentially like shows you behind the scenes of like how what producers are trying to do and what their job is. And their job is to create a story. So you can tell. I couldn't tell necessarily what what you know they weren't outwardly saying what exactly it was, but I could tell like, oh, okay, they're they're they are creating a story out of my life, basically. So they kind of wanted to build you up and like showcase how impressive you were, but then have a little bit of, like it would have been too easy for you to get an amazing deal and walk away. And that would have been it. Like they kind of wanted the build up, and then that's fascinating. It's speculation. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> entirely sure, but if like, if I had to guess of, uh, I, I would guess like, yeah, that makes for and maybe it was, maybe like this was all completely by chance. And like this episode, like my airing just turned out that way. And that's how they clipped everything together. Maybe there was no mastermind plan. Like, you know, <laughs> I could be completely wrong. But if I had to guess, if, if the objective is to tell a story, then I think I, it, I think it was how it was supposed to be, if that makes sense. And then the misogyny after the fact. I know the viral TikTok that you spoke on it, which I love that you came out and said something. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about that? Like what was Bob in the middle of nowhere in his basement? What did he have a problem with? Like why was the pink suit so controversial, do you think? Yeah, I mean, we... So I experienced a couple different aspects of it. So 
there was the physical aspect of it, which was, you know, she shouldn't have been wearing that. And a lot of comments of like how it was inappropriate, which by the way, they were like long shorts. Like they were, or not It was long, like a like, suit <laughs> set. Like how was that yeah. inappropriate? You think that's inappropriate. You should see what I wear at Coachella. <laughs> <laughs> or what my team wears or whatever. Like, it's crazy. That was one of it. That was one kind of bucket of like, it was inappropriate. Or even, I don't know if it was like the color that people were, or like the shorts or, you know, whatever it is. So that was one bucket. The second bucket was about negotiating. So like a lot of comments about like, shut up and sit down. You shouldn't negotiate. Like what a dumb bitch that she would negotiate. And it's like, First of all, if you run any sort of business, you should negotiate everything. Like my team knows that. Always. That like any, any price that somebody gives you, like that sticker price, that's not your price. Like that is, everything is up for negotiation and that's how you build a strong, profitable business. So that part, I think is a little bit of lack of, like, you know, the, the show is made for American viewers that don't necessarily have business backgrounds. So, you know, that, that part of the show, I think is just like, okay, they they just don't know. So, you know, there was that. And then there was, I would say the third bucket was almost around like, which I, I didn't love this. This kind of got to me a little bit more, but just like, what a dumb idea, right? Like who would want that? And it's like, well, Jerry, you in Ohio and your ba- in your mom's basement, like you don't want it because you're eating like you don't care about what you eat and what you're, you're, you know, you're not, you're not our target consumer. Our consumer is 94% millennial and Gen Z women, but people do care about, and not everything's for everyone, right? Like I don't go, I'm not buying like, like fried chicken, fast food. Cause I just don't want that. Uh, maybe sometimes I do, but like, you know, for the most <laughs> part, I'm not the consumer of that, but like, it doesn't have to be for you. And so that part, I, it annoyed me the most, but I could kind of let it go because I'm just like, whatever, you're not a target consumer. The other two about appearance and and not negotiating, like I think the not negotiating thing probably ended up mattering to me a little bit more than the, than the suit thing. Because the suit thing, the second I posted it and posted all those comments, everyone on TikTok went off. Like they were like all on my side. And so it, I, I then got quick validation of like, okay, everyone gets it and everyone's on my team, or like at least the people that I care about on my team. The non-negotiating gets to me a little bit because I know that a lot of kids watch the show and like I've gotten a ton of outreach or I got a ton of outreach when it aired of, you know, my seven-year-old daughter watches the show and, you know, she looks up to you so much or like, you know, by saying don't negotiate, especially like specifically to a woman and a minority woman on a national television show, you're teaching young girls and women to not negotiate because if you negotiate, that's what happens. Like that's what's going to happen to you is you're going to, you're going to have to walk away with nothing. So like that gets to me on an emotional level more than, more than some of the other stuff. And like looking at again, the bigger picture of what is this saying about what women and women of color can ask for. And on that show, everybody negotiates. Like that's like yeah. the how it goes. Like the fact that people had an issue with you negotiating once, I feel like you even just like gave one counter offer. It's cool to see you speak out about it and share your experience rather than just kind of like, okay, I'll, you know, shut up and like pretend like this didn't happen and that it's all okay. And like, I love hearing you speak out about it. And like, hopefully people can learn from the experience and like why 
2023, we should not be judging women based on what they wear, period, much less a very chic, iconic pink suit that was totally appropriate. And we shouldn't be encouraging women to ask for more, to negotiate for more, to stand up for themselves um, and not bash them for it. Did the producers reach out to you after you kind of made this TikTok? And and like, I don't know if they'd like apologize or just reach out to you at all, or you like heard nothing? No, none. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, that says, I guess, what we, what we need to know about that. Um, so speaking of reality TV, Sabina, I know we've been talking for an hour and I know I got to let you go, but I cannot let you leave without asking about this because when I tell you that my ritual, I post about this on Instagram all the time, my number one self-care thing I do every week is Friday afternoon. I get off of work early. I eat my dough. I swear to God, every week, like clockwork, and I watch Vanderpump Rules every single oh Friday afternoon. So when I was sitting there eating my dough, like just shoving it in my face, and you <laughs> were on Vanderpump Rules, I spit You're out. Like, what? <laughs> I was like, this is like too weird. Like this is all my worlds like combining. This is so weird. So... Quickly, you, I just have got to hear no. about the experience. Like, how did you get involved being on Vanderpump Rules? And for people who don't know, they brought you on to consult with Katie and Ariana on their sandwich shop. So tell me about this. If you can, whatever you can spill, yeah. I'm dying oh, to yeah, hear. I know. That's so funny. That's like peak, peak Josie. Literally. Um, it's all Josie. It literally is. <laughs> um, so I'm friends with Katie on the show. So Katie... Maloney, who's on like one of the main characters on Vanderpump Rules, or characters rather, people. She's a human people, being. People, yeah. <laughs> uh, but she, so I met her through dough. So we had sent her dough. She's obsessed with the chocolate chip. We're like talking about maybe doing a flavor together. Um, oh my God, please. I know it would be amazing. So she's obsessed with the product. And so we always send to her. Um, and I had invited her to one of our dinners that we have, you know, at a, pasta shop. It was like an impasto pasta shop. So I invited her to dinner. The food was like, okay. And so we were like kind of hungry afterwards. <laughs> we were like hungry. And then we were like, should we go get drinks? And so there was like a small group of us afterwards that just went to go, you know, a couple of people from my team and um, Katie, my, our friend Daniel, uh, one other person who ended up going to get drinks at Polo Lounge, which is at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Um, so we had martinis and, you know, a couple bites um, afterwards. And we just like became friends from there. And so I had known about the sandwich shop and she had asked me, like I had been talking to her about it like before we filmed anything. And so she had asked me about investors and we had got, we'd gotten drinks a couple of times to talk through uh, just like raising money and how to start. And when she was finalizing even her, um, the location, like we were, I was just like a float of everything we were talking through. I was like helping her with stuff, um, especially on kind of like the, the raising money side. And then she'd asked me, she was like, Hey, you know, would you film? And she was like, it's just what we just do. You know, we already talk about this stuff. So you would just like come in and film with me and Ariana and we would, you know, talk about what we already talk about basically. So like, that's, that's the interesting thing part or the interesting thing about reality TV is like, people are like, oh, it's scripted or it's fake. And it's like, at least my experience, it wasn't. Like my experience was truly like, sure, there's like a, you know, you have to like walk into the scene or whatever, there's cameras there. But like it, we were just having an organic conversation about 
the sandwich shop and and investors and how they should pitch. And so that that's how that came about. It's kind of funny because people were surprised that it said consultant because like yeah. I'm not a consultant. I have no time to be a consultant. And maybe you can call that consulting, but Katie was really sweet and she posted afterwards and she was like, Sabina's not a consultant. She's my friend and she founded this company called Doe and it's amazing. So she was really sweet about it. But yeah, it was like a fun little like afternoon thing for me. I got I got a break from my day. I got to stop thinking about what I do on a daily basis and you know, talk about by the way, the sandwiches are fucking amazing. Like they look so, so good. Good. So like I got to eat some sandwiches and you know, talk to them about their business and like hear the story. And that to me was like was so fun. I was like, I'll absolutely do that. So yeah, that's it came about pretty organically. And you know, we happened to 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 just be friends and and be working on it. But I'm so excited about that that shop launching. I think it's gonna do so well. Oh my, I literally cannot wait. Like watching even just the sandwiches on the screen, I'm like foaming at the mouth. They look so good. So So that's so cool. Like the concept is so cute. The reason I initially, and I don't resonate with a lot of concepts. A lot of times people will ask like, you know, what do you think of this idea? Or should I leave my job to go start this? And I, my answer is often no. Like my answer is like, think twice before you start something and, you know, make sure you have product market fit and all of that. But when she told me about it, I was like, all I want is a place to go with a girlfriend and literally have spritzes and sandwiches and bites. And like, it just be like a cute little, like girly place. And like, that is exactly what this is. And like seeing, you know, their branding and seeing what, how, like their vision about how they're, they're thinking about the shop. It is perfectly made for that. Like just like a girlfriend date to go get a little tipsy and have some delicious food. Like it's, so it's, it's perfect. I think it's going to do really well. It is so genius. And especially as they were explaining in their conversation with you that they aired was like all sandwich shops, like Jimmy John's, Jersey Mike's, like they're all very masculine. So to have a feminine sandwich shop where, yeah, you can go with your friends, get a little tipsy, have a little alcohol, have some, like, it's so genius. And then the scan of all of it all, where now everybody is like, yeah, fuck men. Like we like women power. Like they, I know that that personally, that was really bad for Ariana, but like, my God, they could not have planned this better from a business perspective, right? Well, and I'm so glad that the support, like, I feel like sometimes, especially on reality TV, you get a bad edit, right? And like, sometimes like that's not actually who you are, or like not, not everything's portrayed and it's truly just how it was edited. So I think like, especially on that show and, and there's a lot of other shows like Housewives and stuff where, you know, like, the bad people can't be that bad and the good people can't be that good. And so it's, I'm so glad that there's been this kind of like shift in that it was always, you know, the Toms that were the good guys and like they always got away with everything. And now it's just so empowering to see the women just united. All of them are united and they're just getting so much support. Even just like look at the paparazzi photos of like Katie and Ariana, like they are just powerful. Like they're powerful. They look stunning, like better than ever. They're just like, their outfits are, pro- I care about the outfits a lot. The outfits <laughs> yeah. Everyone is just powerful and in their element and confident. And it like, obviously seeing 
women like that on your screen. It's like almost like empowering to you too. So I love it. I'm like, I am here for that all day. (laughs) It's so true. The outfits are good. They look stunning. Like Chrissy Teigen said on Watch What Happens Live, like they look so good, sad. Like they're so beautiful. And then they're (laughs) bonding together. Like it's, it's, I mean, the best thing to ever see for sure of all the women coming together. And I just am obsessed with it. And then you were on also the, what was supposed to be the finale, right? Of like, you were there for the sandwich shop launch, which I was dying because you were like sitting right behind Katie when all this fighting started for the, and I was like, that's Sabina. Yeah, that was, that was wild. Like it was, and, and again, like people are like, oh, this, like it's scripted. Like they made this up. And I'm like, no, they didn't. Like that's truly what happened. We were sitting there Katie, my friend Daniel, and I took a shot to celebrate. We were like, congratulations, we took a tequila shot. And Raquel came came and sat down. And that's why you can see it on my face in the background. I am like, <laughs> yeah, you can. Bitch, really doing this right now. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, is this, is she really doing this? And like the stuff that she was saying to me was so nonsensical. And I knew, you know, obviously through Katie and I knew what was going on, but like it was so nonsensical to me that I was like, literally sipping my espresso martini. Like, is this girl for real? Like, oh my God. And like, you can't say, like, I'm not going to say anything, right? Like Katie, Katie didn't need me to say anything because she's handling it and I'm not going to get involved. But it was, to me, I was like, this is crazy. Like this is, this happening, this woman saying these things. And obviously I have a bias because Katie's my friend, but I think the rest of the world now has that same bias. Yeah. But it's, it was crazy when, when it was going down and you can see it a little bit in my face. And then you can see me like trying to look away. I'm like, <laughs> this is weird. Like I'm in the background. I'm not even, I'm not supposed to be here. Like that scene I filmed it a couple episodes ago. I was supposed to be there. I was there for that scene. I'm not supposed to be here in this interaction. Like that's not <laughs> what I'm here for. So like, let me just have my espresso martini and like, turn a little bit. So I'm not just like face forward in the camera. (laughs) You literally were like all of us just sitting there with your espresso martini, like, uh, looking around. Like I was dying because it, I I can only imagine to like be there for that must've been the craziest shit ever. But then you're like, I don't want it. Like how am I, I'm like right behind. You probably did not expect that you were going to be this, like (laughs) this iconic scene. Yeah. No, I literally didn't know. I had, I think someone messaged me and they were like, you had a front row ticket to what everybody like wanted a front <laughs> row ticket to. And I was like, yeah, but that was not intentional at all. Like it just happened to be there. And, you know, it was, I, I also didn't realize it was the finale until a little bit later. I was like, because I oh, heard really? Like, I was like, oh, it's the finale. It's like, I don't have that contact. All they did, I did a COVID test they mic'd me up or whatever. And then you just like go inside. Like you don't, you don't necessarily, actually, I don't even think I was mic'd up. I was not mic'd up that day. So like I, you, you kind of just like, don't really know like, Oh, is this the last episode? Is this the middle of the season? I don't know. And mm. so yeah, when it was, when that happened, I was like, Oh yeah, this is the finale. That's what I, in my head. <laughs> that's going to be about the last episode. <laughs> this makes sense. So that's exactly how it played up is like, you guys were just having fun. And, and there was no, like, producer was not like, oh, Katie, Raquel's going to come up to you now. Like, there was nothing like that. It literally is how we saw on TV. Literally how you saw on TV. The only thing is maybe, I don't know what happened with Raquel. If there was someone that was like, that told Raquel, like, oh, go up to her now or something like that. I don't, I, that could have been it. But from my vantage point, there was no warning. There was no nothing. Like, nothing. That's, I think, also why Katie was so irate because she was like, are you for real? I think she was just like, what the hell is going on? And yeah. so she, she, that was all her 
genuine reaction. And in front of Terry, like that was the craziest part of all of it to me was that Katie's mom and Raquel's acting like this in front of her and then to her. That was like you sitting there. I can't even imagine what was going through your head. Well, I get, I have like a weird sensitive, it's not weird. It's maybe normal, but I have like a pretty deep sensitivity of people being mean to parents. Like I just have, whether it's like them being mean to their own parents or like people disrespecting, maybe it's like cultural. I don't know. But the second disrespect came out to Terry, I was like triggered a little bit. Like I was like, don't fucking talk to her. Like her mom is the sweetest. She's so sweet and like such a kind human. And I like, I spent a little bit of time with her afterwards, not a ton of time, but like, uh, she's just like, so like what you see on TV. And I was like, why would you be like, that's have some respect. Like that's her mom. And so that gets to me. It's like, don't, don't be disrespectful to people's parents. Like that's, that, that is like a line. I mean, I think what calls cross a lot of lines, but that's a line. <laughs> I'm like that is and to, to like Terry's so freaking sweet. Like, she's so real? cute. She's so cute. I'm with you that it's like you have to be some level of like icky to ever go there with someone's parent. Like that's just a level of crazy. Which now we obviously see it makes sense. No, so yeah. that's wild. But I I love this for Katie because I said this from season one that Katie does not get a good like the way that people view her even though I don't know her, I'm like, she is so much better than what people are responding, right? Like people have never like really like loved her or she, they've always been like critical of her. I have loved her from day one. Yeah. Polarizing. That is the word I was looking for. So I love this for her that she's like having the moment that she has deserved for all these seasons. And so it's, it's, I love hearing that you guys are like real friends off camera. Cause I have always loved Katie. I think she's awesome. That's the thing is like, she is actually like so kind and like so wonderful. And like, that is, um, I, I agree with you and, and it's, it's polarizing on TV, but again, like I was polarizing on Shark Tank and I was like, I didn't <laughs> even know that I, I was polarizing. And so it is it, it like full circle. It just like loops back to like, you know, you don't really know who those people are. And there are some people who are, you like, Tom Sandoval, like I kind of like knew he was kind of eh. like, I, yeah. you know, I just don't love him. But, you know, there's some people I think that like you, you just, you got to realize like they're human beings and you don't know them, you know? And I, I love that you did see that in her though. Yeah. I've always been a Katie stan. I love it, Sabina. I literally could talk to you for like 10 more hours, um, but I will <laughs> let you go and like live your life because I'm sure you have a lot to do. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us and all of your amazing advice, insight. Where can everyone find you and shop dough? Um, follow us at eat dough, E-A-T-D-E-U-X. We have new donuts that are about to sell out. So I can't to wait to try those. We're going to produce them again, but they're about... they. It's crazy. We can't keep them in stock. Our Instagram's hilarious. Our emails are hilarious. So follow us there. And then you can follow me at Sabina Lada, S-A-B-E-E-N-A-L-A-D-H-A. You guys really do have the best branding, the best products. Everything is so good. Do you have any collaborations coming up that you can shout out or is everything still a top secret? I can say that we have something coming that's very pink in June. So... Well, <laughs> and you already did Skinny Confidential, so it can't be her pink, right? It could be. Oh, it could be. Okay. All right. That's all we're going to say about that matter. <laughs> well, we are so excited. Um, I know if people out there have not tried dough, you have to. You're going to be obsessed with it. Sabina, thank you so much for coming on and for talking to me for so long and for indulging in my Vanderpump obsession. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks, Josie. 
I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Every Girl Podcast on Instagram or theeverygirlpodcast.com. Talk to you next week. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com